It was that silent night when the stars turned their gaze to marvel at the earth. When the heavens gathered breathless round a lowly stable. When a young mother wept tears of worship, falling on the baby in her arms. And the song of the earth arose in Bethlehem, soft as the tender beating of his heart. And all was calm, all was bright. Yet could this be the same God of Abraham, the conqueror of Israel, this baby? This fragile life. Is this child the one who burned his name in rapture across the gasping skies? Whose voice spoke the oceans into crashing rhythms? Who crafted the mountains into guardians of the firmament? Whose hand ignited the thirst of the deserts and the warring surge of the elemental hosts? Who breathed life from dust? Broke the oppressor's rule? scattered the chains of his people like sand and led them through the wilderness with the pillar of flame. Is this child the one whose presence billowed thunderous on Sinai's peak? Who surrounded Job with the roaring wind, stood defiant in the raging furnace, wrote judgment against tyrants and blazed on the lips of the prophets, scorching history's pages with the fury of his might? Could this be the same God who chose to come as the vulnerable king, setting his throne on straw and manger, drawing forth the tears of shepherds, receiving the gifts of wandering travelers, his fame unknown in this world? He is Jesus, the one who thunders through the heavens yet whispers to our hearts, who reigns victorious, yet bows to serve the broken. He is God in the fury, God in the silence. He holds this mystery balanced in his hands, holds our questions till they lose their need, until all we see is him. Merry Christmas, everybody. I dressed up for the occasion. I moved to uh, New Auburn this last year, and uh, Nauburn, as the local dialect uh, describes it, and uh, this is dressed up for New Auburn. So this is a New Auburn tuxedo, just so you know how that works. <clears throat> so um, Christmas, uh, probably one of the, if not the most well-known Christmas poems is The Night Before Christmas. Well, this Christmas, I want to talk to you about the world before Christmas. What was the world like before Jesus stepped into it? Before that incredible mystery of profound, wow, how did that happen? That God Almighty, the infinite, became finite and became one of us. That God, in the person of Jesus, showed us what it was to be a human being. What was the world like before that. Well, before that, the world was dominated by Rome, the Roman Empire. Now, this is the thing about Rome. There was some version of Rome and the Roman Empire and all that was Rome for about 1,400 years. 
I mean, think about that. Our country isn't even 300 years old, and Rome, in some form, was around for 1,400 years. And Rome was the great empire during the time where Jesus stepped into the world, and it was like the culmination of empires. There had been other empires that had been great, but Rome took all that was these other empires and combined it to become the Roman Empire. And if there was one word that captured the heart of Rome, if there's one word that captured what they valued, what they thought was great, what defined what it meant to be Rome, a Roman citizen, Roman greatness, the word would be power. For Rome, power was good. Power was the opposite of chaos. The gods, so like Juno, who was Zeus, and all the gods of Mount Olympus and the Roman gods, they gave power to a few, usually a few men, and these ones were supposed to have power to create order, and everybody else was supposed to be ranked under them to maintain the power, to maintain the order. That was Rome. And so it was a time where power was valued. It was looked at as a theological reality. They'd look to their gods like, like Zeus or like Juno, the Romans called them. And, 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 and this was not, you know, their concepts of God were not, were not, you know, that God is good and normal and infinite, but God is, God is, for them, was like a person, a bigger version of ourself. And they were mean at times. They were cruel. They were lustful. They lied. They, they could choose right or wrong. And, and, and these gods showed favor to just a few. And to be a great Roman was to be like that. And so to be Roman meant that you were into power. This was the theological value. They would look back to their philosophers. You'd even go back reading to these guys, Plato and Aristotle, and they would talk about the virtue of slavery because the slaves needed to be there to prop up the powerful. They would talk about the subjugation of women and, and the fact that children were not as valuable as adults. And these were the values that made up the great and powerful Roman Empire. It was a time of profound injustice. The concept that all people were equal and all people had rights would have been absolute nonsense to the Romans. They would have not considered it as something worth worth valuing or something real. They would have had the understanding that there are some people, Roman citizens, who had rights, and everybody else were just, you know, uh, people who we dominated and ruled. It was a time where women were oppressed, where children were not valued. In fact, there was a practice in ancient Rome called um, exposure, so that if you had a child and you decided you didn't want this new child, maybe uh, it wasn't uh, a boy you wanted, or maybe the child had some kind of birth defect or some other issue, or maybe you just didn't want to afford the child, you could take the child and and you could actually leave it in a place out in the wilderness, usually on the side of a cliff or something that the town had designated, and you could abandon the child there and just wait for it to die. And this was not only okay, this was encouraged as part of the culture. This was a time where up to 95% of people lived in what we would consider today abject poverty. That is to say that they had enough food for today and maybe a day or two, but they didn't know where their future meals were coming from. This was a time where up to 60% of the population were enslaved, were slaved, were owned by other people. This was a time of conquest, of injustice, where, where the sick were looked as a liability, the elderly were looked as something that they just needed to go away, the weak were oppressed. 
This is the world that Jesus stepped into. Now, you might say, well, there's still a lot of that goes on today. Well, there's two big differences. One is, is that it's not nearly as rampant as it used to be. The second is, is that now we would call it evil. The Romans would actually call all of that good and necessary to maintain power and to maintain order. And into this world steps Jesus Christ. And everything Jesus did in his coming, in his teaching, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, punched that morality, punched that ethic in the nose. Jesus was actually accused of being subversive, and he was subversive. He was undermining at the heart level everything Rome had stood for. Now, in Rome, there was one great um, symbol that was the symbol of Roman power and Roman oppression. It was something that the Romans did to keep people in line, to keep people understanding that we are Rome and we can do whatever we want to you. It was crucifixion. Now, we understand the cross. We see them. We wear beautiful crosses on our shirts and necklaces and all that kind of stuff. We put them on our church buildings, and we think Jesus died. It becomes for us a symbol of love. That is not what it was for the Romans. For the Romans, it was a picture of terror. It was a picture of oppression. It was a picture of shame. It was this understanding that if anyone came aboard, came and they stole, they were thieves, or they were rebellious slaves especially, or they did anything to undermine or subvert Rome, we would put you on public display. We would kill you slowly and painfully. We would strip you naked, nail you to a cross, and we would leave you exposed up there. That would be our way of saying that not only can we do what we want, is that Rome has power. And this was a very common thing. We get the idea that maybe Jesus was one of a few people down on the cross. Tens of thousands of people were killed on crosses in the Roman Empire. And actually, you remember the old movie Spartacus? Maybe some of you remember that. It was about a slave revolt during the time of Rome. Remember, I was Spartacus. You know, um, th that whole thing. Maybe not, I'm old. And so, so, so the whole, it was a good movie. But it actually happened. There was a slave revolt. And at the end of it, this slave army was defeated. And literally 3,000 people... 3,000 people were crucified on something called the Appian Way, a road that led up to Rome. And, and can you imagine walking down a road with 3,000 people dying and suffering? And that was Rome's way of saying, we can do whatever we want. Another time, 2,000 Jews were crucified by a Roman general. It was their way of pushing people down. And so the people in the time of Jesus all would have seen crucifixions. They would have witnessed them. They would have smelt them and seen what it did to the person. And so to be crucified was a profound embarrassment. It was a shame. It was detestable. It was horrible. It was the worst thing. It was a picture of Roman occupation and oppression. And into the world, Jesus came and he redeemed even crucifixion. And, and, and uh, Tom Holland, who is a... Um, uh, actually a non-Christian historian, has said this about crucifixion. He said, No death was more excruciating, more contemptible than crucifixion. To be hung naked, long in agony, swelling with ugly welts on your shoulders and chest, helpless to beat away the clamorous birds, such a fate, Roman intellectuals agreed, was the worst imaginable. This, in turn, is what was rendered so suitable a punishment for slaves. And here's a quote from one of those 
ancient Roman intellectuals. After all, we Romans have slaves drawn from every corner of the world in our households, practicing strange customs and foreign cults or none. And it is only by means of terror that we can hope to coerce such scum. And so for Jesus to come and die on a cross was radical in the extreme. I understand that everything Jesus did was, a, was an indictment of a world committed to power, selfishness, greed, wealth, and sin. First of all, he was born as a baby, and when he came, he was born to a poor woman who was oppressed, people um, who had uh, uh, been treated horribly by the Romans, and in everything he did, affiliate himself with the poor, those who were in need, those who were sick, those who had been forgotten, those who had been marginalized, those who had been not included. Everything Jesus did welcomed them. Jesus' teaching turned everything in Rome upside down. He was the one who said, you know how the first, we're always wanting to be first? He says, well, in my kingdom, the first will be last, and the last will be first. We're going to turn it upside down. He says, you want to be great in the kingdom? Then you want to learn about service and sacrifice. You want to make the children and the needy and the poor. You want to take the poor and give them a position of honor and empower them to not be poor anymore. Those people who used to consider strangers or foreigners or the Romans used to call them the barbarians, now we're going to include them as brothers and sisters and welcome them in. This was Jesus' teaching. And of course, his ultimate indictment of Rome was to take that thing that they meant to be an implement of terror and make it the ultimate symbol of love because Jesus willingly went to the cross and laid down his life. And now when we see the cross, we don't see terror. We don't see uh, oppression. We see love. We see sacrifice. We see to greatness. This is what the Christmas story is all about. You know, Mary, the mother of Jesus, we talk about angels, shepherds, all that. Well, Mary, of course, the mother of Jesus, the angel comes to Mary and says, hey, guess what? You're going to have the Messiah. The angel of the Lord said, the Spirit of God's going to come upon you. You're going to have the Messiah. And she was like, what? And then she said, okay, it's okay. That's a paraphrase. But basically, she worked this all out, and she came back and said, if it's impossible for God, but I trust you, God, I'm going to go with this. And, and then afterwards, there's this section in the book of Luke um, where she writes this song. It's called the Magnificat. And it's, and it's this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful poem that Mary wrote. And for years, I didn't understand it because it's not what I would have expected her to write because the poem is about power and oppression and using power not to oppress, but to liberate. Because Mary was a woman who was marginalized. Listen to what she said. She says this. She said, God has shown the strength or the power of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts in their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, the first will be last, and exalted the humble estate, the last will be first. He has filled the, hum the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. And so for Mary, she saw the coming of the Messiah as that one who would bring in the kingdom of God, who would usher in salvation, and who would free the captives and those oppressed. This, by the way, is how Jesus defined his time on earth. So at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, just begins his public ministry, goes to his hometown, he gets to read part of the scripture. He says, hand me this scroll from Isaiah. He opened it up, and he said, this thing I'm going to read now is about me. And so listen to what Jesus said about his ministry and what he's going to start. He says this. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery sight to the blind to set liberty 
set at liberty those who are oppressed and acclaim, proclaim the year, year, the, Lord, the year of the Lord's favor or the Lord's grace. And so Jesus described his time as a time of liberation from sin into death, certainly, but also from oppression. And that his ethic, his morality is that of, of liberation, of, of fighting those who are, liberating those ones who are oppressed. Indeed, this is what Jesus' whole life about, is about. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. This, for me, is one of the most important Christmas verses in the entire Bible because it's a passage that sings a song. Again, this breaks into a song about the miracle that he who was all-powerful set aside that power to become human and then used his power not to rule and dominate and do that which was selfish, but rather to serve, to love, and to sacrifice. So this is what the Apostle Paul says to us and what Jesus was all about. He says to us, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each one of you look not only on your own interest, but also on the interest of others. Have this attitude, this mind, this perspective among yourselves, which is also that of Christ Jesus, which is the opposite of Rome. So here's what Jesus did. Who, though he was in very nature God, okay, so he was God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. For he didn't come and say, I'm God, I'm all-powerful, put me in a palace, give me the wealth, give me the attention. He didn't do any of that but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself. He was never humbled. He was never put down. He humbled himself and became obedient. Not just obedient, obedient to the shameful death on the cross. So he took the death of a slave, of a sinner, of a despised person, and all that shame, and he did it to carry the sins of all of us and showing us in that example that everything Rome had said about power and oppression and domination was the opposite of what the heart of God was. That's what Christmas was, and that's what Christmas is. That's how this thing of Jesus has changed the whole world. You see, Jesus came built on these, this, this incredible belief system, this theological assumption. We've been talking a lot about this at Jacob's Well lately, that there is a God who doesn't choose to be good or choose to be bad. He is by his very nature that which is good and beautiful. That is just who he is. That is all he can be. And he has lovingly created the world. And at the pinnacle of this creation, he has created every person in his image, rich and poor, male and female, people from far away, people who are close, people who are sick, people who are healthy. Every person has dignity and value and worth. That would have been nonsense to the Romans. But Christianity came and said, every person matters to God. Every person is welcomed into the kingdom. Every tribe, tongue, and nation are all welcomed into the kingdom. And therefore, every person should be advocated for. And we should end oppression and racism and all the other isms in terms of attacking people. We should be people care deeply about justice because of the teaching, the life, the example, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today, and maybe you don't even think of yourself as a Christian, maybe you're here because you said to mom, what do you want for Christmas? And she said, I'd really like you to go to church. You went, oh. And so now you're here. Maybe you're there, but in your heart, you deeply care for the poor. 
Are you care for injustice or the oppression of women or the oppression of, of, of people of different races or colors or those kinds of things? Have you ever, and, and here's the thing, if you would have been born in Rome before Christ, the chances of you caring about those things would have been next to nothing. Why do you care about them? Well, because for the last 2,000 years, the ethic of Jesus has been permeating our culture. And that has sunk into our heart. And the problem for so many of us is we've lost the source of that ethic with Jesus. So what was the world like before Christmas? Well, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt his worth. What was it like since Christ? Well, it's changed, and it's changing. And in Christ, we can see it continue change. And so we must ask ourselves, what was the world like before Christmas? And what would it like be like? What could it be like after this Christmas for us personally and in this world if we were to embrace the ethic of Jesus Christ? You know, one of the things we talk a lot about here at Jacob's Well is next steps. We end our times by talking about what are we going to do with this? What's our response to what we've heard? And so what's the response to this Christmas message? That he who was everything became nothing. He who was all-powerful set aside his power and used his power to serve when he could have crucified all of us. Instead, he became the one who sacrificed, the one who turned that which was terror into love. What is our response? Well, there are several responses. The first response would simply be this. Embrace the teaching and the ethic of Jesus I mean, look deeply at what he taught and how he called us to love and how he called us to forgive and how he called us to include and how he feels about the sick and the elderly and children and the poor. And, and for us to love them like he loved them. When was the last time you took a deep look at the biography of Jesus? There's four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell what he did and how he lived and, and things he taught. And when was the last time you looked at it deeply and said, am I like that? Make your ambition to embrace the teaching and the example of Christ. Next thing you must do, if you take his teaching seriously, is you should stand to end injustice and oppression. You should be against poverty and unfairness and, and child labor. I mean, from Christianity, we have no idea the things that came because of the ethics of Jesus. Public education, hospitals, dignity of burying the dead. These are all ideas that came from this understanding that people matter. Not to mention uh, fighting against slavery and, and, and all the injustices. And don't get me wrong, there have been times in the history where the, even the people of God have forgotten the ethic of Jesus and in Jesus' name have tried to do his work like Rome. And we embrace Rome, we do some stupid, terrible things. There's a need for us to come back to the foundational message of Jesus. From there, then, we, we need to just praise him and thank him for all that he has done. Maybe you're here today and, and you're at another place. Here's a step for you. You're saying to yourself, you know, Paul, I've never heard anybody talk about Jesus like this before. And I just kind of am you know, interested in this idea of how Jesus changed everything. I want to know more about that because maybe you're one of these people who just somewhere along the line you push Jesus to the side. You say, I tried the church thing, didn't work. Or you heard a YouTube video or watched a YouTube video about you know, why you're not a Christian anymore, and you didn't look into it deeply. You know, you just kind of, most people don't investigate Christianity and turn their back of it. Most of them just, people just drift away and pretend they're intellectual about it, and they, they, they just haven't done the work. It's actually lazy. Well, well, there's actually something you could do. If you're here and you think you're here by accident, this may be what you need to hear. There's this thing we have coming up called Alpha. The Alpha is a, a the Greek letter, first Greek letter, means the beginning. And it's actually a class where you can come and this class asks the big questions like, is there any historical evidence for Jesus? 
Is the Bible reliable? You know, um, is the resurrection something that we could actually believe in? Is Jesus' teaching any different than all the other great teachings in the world? And when you start asking these honest questions, you're going to actually find that Christianity has some really, really good answers for these, that Jesus really was the unique revelation of God. But you haven't looked into it, you can't reject it. That's what Alpha is all about. And so to take the claims of Christ seriously, he who has dominated the world in Western culture for 2,000 years, you should really find out if he is who he said he is. That's a step that you can take. And then the last thing we could just talk about you doing is just understanding what that cross is all about. And that cross is all about God's free gift of salvation. It's this understanding that all of us have been citizens of Rome. We've embraced selfishness and power and wealth and sin, and we have cherished things we should not, and it has separated us from God. So I want you to imagine two cliffs, one over here where God is there and he would have us with him, and we are over here, but this giant cavern has separated us. This is sin. When Jesus came to earth, this is what he did. He reached out one hand, and he reached out to God on the cross, and he reached out the other hand, and he reached out to us on the cross, and he created a bridge to God. That when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we pass through Christ to God. His sacrifice and the power of the sacrifice, and there's just something about sacrifice that is beautiful, powerful, and loving, and his sacrifice was the ultimate sacrifice. Man, there's some of that sacrifice that provides us eternal life. And so when we put our faith and trust in him, we find forgiveness, we find a changed heart, we change a changed mind, we start seeing all the beautiful things that are true about Jesus Christ. So what I want to do is I want to end my time with a simple prayer. And this is going to be a prayer of praise and thanksgiving. And it's going to be a praise of just reinvesting, reinviting Christ into our life, maybe for the hundredth time, maybe for the first time, but accepting his free gift of salvation. So if you want to make your prayer, my prayer, your prayer, then let my words be your words even right now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we confess we have all been citizens of Rome. We have been people who have been small and petty and selfish. We have been people who have been deeply sinful. We have ignored you in your teaching. We have not treated each other with love. We have not respected the dignity of other people. We have embraced the values of Rome. And right now in Jesus' name, we just want to confess that. We want to admit that. And we want to turn to you, Lord Jesus. We want to turn to you and follow your example through the incarnation where you came to the least of these. We want to follow you and your example in your teaching, in your life, and everything you said and did. We want to follow you in how you gave your life, that you showed the true use of power as service and sacrifice, and that the ultimate expression of what it means to be an amazing human being is love. So teach us to love. We put our full faith and trust in what you did for us on the cross. We ask you to forgive our sins, come into our life, and teach us to follow you. We need you, Lord Jesus. And now we would join the angels in heaven who give you praise on that beautiful Christmas night when we say, glory to God in the highest, peace to his people on earth. Lord God, heavenly King, almighty God and Father, we worship you, we give you thanks, we praise you for your glory. Lord Jesus Christ, only Son of the Father, Lord God, Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You are seated at the right hand of the Father, receive our prayers. For you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and the glory of God the Father. And all God's people said, Amen.